Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. of God this morning. Certainly is, and I too want to welcome everybody here, church family, guests, you are welcome here in Hatchman Apostolic Church. I'm thankful to be here today, thankful that we had the freedom to worship together, and thankful for what this weekend is really about, to remember and honor some amazing service members who died while protecting our freedoms, and that's one of the reasons why we're able to gather today. We are a blessed nation and a blessed people. So before we get started, I'm sure you won't mind just to pray together once again for me, but let's give God a little bit of thanks today. He's worthy of it. And let's invite him here today. Lord Jesus, we invite you in this place today, God. Lord, we don't want to gather God or do anything, Jesus, without your presence, God. Lord, I want to thank you, Jesus, Lord, for everything. God, that you Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you shake somebody's hand and you can be seated? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The last few weeks we've been talking about living a blessed life. Living a blessed life. And I, I believe everybody probably has that as one of their goals to live a life that's blessed and that can be a blessing. So we're going to finish it up this week, but before we do, I kind of like to remind everybody or to help somebody that wasn't here to let you know what we've already talked about. So some of the keys that have already been discussed was first, putting God first. That's one of the keys to having a blessed life is to remember that we have to seek ye first, the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to us. That's an important key to living a blessed life. Another one is our trust, and, and we talked about having misplaced trust. And today, you can't really put much trust in anything, um, but we can put our trust in God. And that is such a key to living a blessed life is when you understand that you can't serve two masters, but you're always going to be better to put your trust in the one that everything came from. And then last week, living a blessed life, a key is to be a good steward. And so we have to be a good steward over the things that he's already entrusted to us. If we don't take care of what we already have, it's hard to get something more. And then today we're going to finish it up talking about cheerful generosity. God loves a cheerful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Most of you know that I previously worked in a financial institution. So 
for nearly 20 years, I talked to people all day about money. And I'm far from an expert on the subject, but because it was part of my daily life for so long, it's not an uncomfortable subject for me. Um, but I do understand it's one thing to talk about money in a bank or in, in a financial institution, and it's a little bit different when you come to church and you talk about money. Um, some people get a little bit uncomfortable, maybe a little squirmy, fidgety. Um, and I don't want that to happen today, and I don't expect that to happen today because I know that I'm speaking to the choir, and I'm going to be talking about giving in general, maybe in, including money. But I'm not going to tell you, I'll tell you, and I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. <laughs> I will do that. But I do feel like the word of God is filled with scriptures and passages, principles, parables, all about money throughout from the, from the beginning to the end. Um, actually, Brother Boyd told everybody that I was going to speak about Melchizedek. <laughs> and I'm not, except I will say that Abraham even paid tithes to Melchizedek way back when. So I will just throw that in there. But because God spoke about it so much in the Bible, I do believe it was important enough for us to talk about it too, um, especially because it involves our everyday living as well. Every day we have to spend something and, or do something and something breaks down. We're, we're doing something with money. How many people have ever owned an Apple product, an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook, a computer? Probably maybe half of the people in here have owned something from Apple. Do you realize that you have, we have, I'll put myself in there, that we have helped grow a company that started out of one man's garage to become today's world's biggest company? Largest company in the world that we helped grow from one man's garage. Apple products have revolutionized the whole world in many good ways. I'm going to stay positive. And we have con we've contributed and we've supported that cause. Now I want you to think about that on another, on another realm. Think about what happens when you give to God through the church. Think of the blessings that result when we support the kingdom of God. We are investing in the spiritual and eternal lives of people. Our dollars are changing lives and homes, relationships and countries. That is an amazing thought, what God does with your money. Money has always had a role in the church. Even in the first church, in Acts chapter 4, the believers would give to the church and to the apostles, and it says, so that there were none needy among them. And I'm thankful that the church still practices that today. I think it's incredible to hear about what God is doing with our giving. Locally here, later you'll see the Bible quizzers. Many of you have given to that. And it's, that's more than just what you're going to see. It's about putting their word in their hearts. I think it's amazing when you hear stories about we have another church in Madison. That's incredible. But your dollars are doing that. Home, home mission churches across the, the um, country, global missions around the world, what God is doing in Bible colleges and other kingdom causes, it is incredible what your dollars are doing. It is incredible and it's awesome and I'm thankful for it. I grew up hearing a term called God's economy. And as a, I don't know if anybody else heard that, but it didn't make much sense to me as a kid, God's economy. I just kind of scratched my head and, and thought it was just a phrase. But today I get it. I do get it. As an adult, I do understand that God does have an economic system. 
And in his economy, he wants to bless you. His economy is about blessing you. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he has a plan for your money. I believe that. But for him to bless us, we have to give him something to bless. We have to be cheerful givers. There's two men sat in a local diner drinking a cup of coffee. The first man, Happy, was going on and on about his son, who was an architect, and his daughter, who was a stay-at-home mom. He was reminiscing about how hard he had worked so that he could help put his son through college. And he, he was talking about how he had just came from his daughter's house and helped fix her garage door opener. He just seemed so full. And his life just seemed full and meaningful, had so much purpose about him. He talked about how blessed he was to have his grandkids and that he watched every other Saturday. He used to watch him with his wife, but she passed away. And he missed her. But he felt so blessed to have his grandchildren. The other man, Grumpy, <laughs> Grumpy's demeanor was a bit sour. Um, Grumpy snapped at the waitress, complained about the cost of the coffee. He complained about his son who was so expensive to raise. In fact, both of his kids were a drain on his finances. He had just had to spend a whole day and wasted a whole day at his daughter's house trying to fix things. He griped about how the upcoming Saturday he had to go to her house and watch her kids while she went out to have a good time. It was easier when his wife was alive, but now it was just him and a bunch of high-energy kids who drove him crazy. The two men in this story are really one man with two possible responses to life. And I'll be honest, I, I'm grumpy some days. <laughs> but in the first case, the man's a giver. And in the second case, he is a loser. And I'm not talking about you know, the L on your forehead loser. I'm saying he feels like he's losing. Okay. It reminds me of the scripture, Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. It's all about how you see that part of your life. You can give freely and it grows more richer. Or it says another one withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. You feel like you've missed out. You're only going to want more. The difference is this. It's how he chose to view giving. It all came to his view of giving. It was either selfishly or selflessly. And that is the whole key to living a blessed life. Right there, it's either you give selflessly and you live selflessly. The apostle wrote in Acts 20, 35, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, how Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's it. That's the whole key to living a blessed life. It is better to give than to receive. The musicians can come. I'm just kidding. Somebody fan for the boy. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry to disappoint some of you guys. I want to continue. <laughs> but what if we measured our lives by how much we gave rather than how much we've kept or how much that we've accumulated? That's a humbling thought. I think that we would hear more about some unsung heroes. But if we send our lives giving to others, if we spend our lives giving to others and we have a little bit left at the end, I think that we're probably going to be happy and live with full hearts. 
And if we spend our lives accumulating things without giving, we're probably going to be miserable and feel like we've lost out. Like Grumpy in the story, or another character I thought was, was Scrooge in the Christmas story. Man had more money than anybody. He was the most miserable man. British philosopher and scientist Francis Bacon said money is like manure. Not good unless spread. Piled up, we know that manure stinks and it's messy and too much of it kills the grass. But when it's spread out, it helps grass grow. And the same can be said of our resources. Because truth be told, in life, everyone will either give or lose. And if every time that we do something and someone else benefits for it, if we look at that and say, well, that cost me, someone else benefited and it cost me, I lost time, I lost money in that, then we're going to feel like life or people are taking from us. If instead we view everything that we do or give to others as an opportunity or an investment in others, then we're going to feel like we're helping somebody. When we give resentfully, we're going to feel miserable. When we give willingly, we're going to feel happy and generous. And the way we feel about our lives and circumstances can be absolutely transformed simply by recognizing that life is going to cost everybody. But if we, true, if we choose to treat it as giving, it suddenly has a completely different feel and meaning to it. It can change our perspective about marriage and parenting to where, hey, it's just not a headache and an expense, but it's a rewarding investment into the lives of people that I love. It can change our perspective about ministry in the kingdom. Hey, it may cost me something, but I'm not losing. I'm spreading the gospel. So you think like the giver, and that's a choice. That's a choice to be happy and to be blessed. The giver is happier than the getter. It's better to give than to receive. So the giver is happier than the getter. But that is probably the most unbelieved beatitude in the Bible. Because it goes against our own intuitions and our own instincts because we're just humanity and we live in a society that's conditioned to get greed materialism it's flooded everywhere cell tactics appeal all the time from the smallest thing to the biggest things somebody an ad can sell you a pack of gum to a brand new car the cell tactics appeal to our wants and our indulgences we live in a what's in it for me world. That's the world that we live in. Teenage daughter came home after her first date, her first date, sorry, and she was gushing about how great and wonderful her new boyfriend was. And she was talking to her dad. And her dad says, hey, he sounds great, but does he have money? And she got a little disgusted and she said, you men are all alike. He asked me the same thing about you. They were both wondering what they were going to get out of that deal. <laughs> but it's so important that as Christians, we don't share the world's mindset about money and giving. According to scripture, giving really should be a primary goal of living. Giving isn't just a character trait. It's a core value of being a Christian. In Luke chapter 16, we read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in the story, both men died. And Lazarus went to heaven, and the rich man did not. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say that, hey, he went to hell because he did this list of bad things. But it does tell us that that rich man withheld from giving. Every day he would pass poor Lazarus begging. And, he, and even though he had plenty of riches, he refused to give. He had a stingy and a selfish heart. 
as Christians, I think it's important that we do examine our heart and that we do examine our motives, even with giving, not just giving, but with giving as well. And then I, I think, you know, where is my heart when I think about giving? When an opportunity comes up, where's my heart in this? Because we can give to expect something in return. That could be our motive. We can give with strings attached. Sometimes we withhold giving because maybe we faced a disappointment or we got hurt feelings. But in any circumstance, it's very important as Christians to examine our hearts. And I want to tell each one individually that only you can do that. I can't examine your heart. Pastor can't examine your heart. You're the only one that can unlock that really private part. Okay? And examine the contents and then ask yourself those tough questions. Am I giving willfully? Am I giving selflessly? Do I believe God's word and his promises are true? Am I a cheerful giver? Only we can do that individually on our own. And it's actually possible to give without loving. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3 says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, so I give to do good things. And it says, If I have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. So it's possible to give without love, but it's not recommended. Because you, because you can give with the wrong motive, but it's having the love and the generosity in your heart that gives meaning to that gift that's in your hands. My favorite book is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Some of you may know it. It's, it's just a children's book. It's one that I've read to all my kids, and they know it almost <laughs> cover to cover. But I've always loved that book. And it's a story about a boy and a tree. And the thing I love about it is that tree loved that boy very much. And then out of love, that tree was always willing to fulfill that little boy's needs until all that was remaining of that tree was just a stump. She had gave everything until she was a stump. And she got sad that she had nothing else to give the boy. And he said, all I need is a place to sit. And she stood up as big as she could, and she gave the boy a place to sit. But she gave. She loved that boy very much. And it reminds me, that's how God is. That's part of how he is. He's there to fulfill our needs. Every need that we present, God is able. And I believe that God's people ought to have that same kind of love, that his people ought to be generous people who give whatever they can, whenever they can, to whoever they can. And not just money, but time and encouragement, talents, things that what we can do. Christian author C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much one ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And that's hard, but that's a good humbling thought. And it reminds me of our greatest example, Jesus Christ. Throughout his life, he personified the beauty and the power of giving. He fed 5,000 people without hesitation, without complaint. He could have hosted a fish fry fried up that fish, served it, and made a good old profit. He healed people freely, no charge, no copay, freely. He taught multitudes without selling tickets. He gave up his glory and became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says. He gave up his glory and gave up riches to become poor so that us through his poverty might become rich. 
what a savior. My goodness, when I think of his generosity to me, to giving with a loving and cheerful heart for me to give just seems natural. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. You know, sometimes I think clapping my hands just seems natural. Or raising my hands and worshiping him just seems like a natural response to I think about the goodness of Jesus. When I think about bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgiveth all mine iniquities, who healeth all my diseases, who redeemeth my life from destruction, who crowneth me with loving kindness and tender mercy. It just seems natural to give him praise. Can we just take a second to praise him? Lord, you are so worthy. You are so worthy. You are so holy, God. I thank you for it, God. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much, God. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver gives with joy and love. And Jesus was a cheerful giver. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He willingly gave his life. He willingly endured a cruel cross. And he willingly suffered the shame. And when we give, we're reflecting his nature. It's a reflection of his nature. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, Paul said, So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Paul instructed the church not to give grudgingly or not to give reluctantly or unwillingly. He also told them not to give out of necessity like it's a burden or an obligation. Because giving to God's not an obligation. It's not a business deal. We're not giving to him with an agenda. We're not giving to him for a what's in it for me. He said to prepare a heart from the prepare a gift from the generosity of your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't believe that the next verse, verse 8, is actually there by coincidence. It says God loves a cheerful giver, and then it says, and God is able. And you could end it right there. And God is able. And what is he able to do? To make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. How amazing is that? God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able. Able to do what? All. All. I realize that through giving, God is able to do all. And I give because I trust that he's going to take care of me in all things at all times. Amen. I believe it. Earlier I mentioned working in the financial industry. And, and in that work, I, re, I have reviewed a lot of bank statements over the years. And one thing I've learned, um, what I can remember most, especially through the tough years of the recession, was I learned what people loved by reviewing the bank statements. And during the recession... We offered a variety of workout options to help people that were struggling or going through hardships. We wanted to help them. And one of the first things that we had to do was evaluate their expenses. And it would absolutely shock me when reviewing ex statements with members that they would not consider cutting some of the spending from their budget. 
and I'm not talking about like food or, or things, things like that. I'm talking like nail salon visits or their TV movie spending, that kind of thing. They would not consider cutting those type of expenses in order to save their car or home. That's how much they love their appearance or entertainment. And I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm, I'm not trying to be intrusive. And I would never share personal information. In fact, we can talk about my bank statements if you want. But I'll tell you, if you look through my bank statements, you're going to be able to tell that the Gibson family loves to eat. <laughs> We've got six people in the house that are growing one way or another. And um, you're going to tell we, we love to eat. If you look at my bank statement, you're going to be able to tell we love our kids clothes and and daycare and school expenses, gifts, things like that. And you're going to be able to tell that we love Hatchman Apostolic Church because we realize that we love and need God more than we love or need money. He's been too good to us. He's been faithful to us. He's provided for us. He's protected us. He has shown favor. Thank God. My point is, when you love something, you'll give. If you have a problem giving, if you love something, you'll give. When I think about that, when I think about when you love something, you give, I think of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My goodness, when you love something, you'll give. And oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. This is off the topic, but I think that is so sad that poor man is still known by having leprosy. (laughs) While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from an essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of them Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. The disciples, you see, they didn't understand. The people around that watched her, they called it waste. They rebuked her harshly. Why would she waste a year's wages? I'm going to tell you, people aren't going to understand why you give. People may not understand why you come here, why you're here right now. They may not understand why you raise your hands. They don't get it, but you do. You get it. You know your story. You know why you're here. You know why that you stand and why you praise the Lord. You understand it. They don't. The timeline of that story is actually significant because it was Shortly before Jesus rode into town, and right before the celebration of the Passover, and at the celebration of the Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb, put the blood over their door, and remember God would pass over their home, meaning that he exempted them. If we remember Passover, he exempted them from punishment. Now, how powerful that is. My goodness, how many times that God has passed judgment over me and didn't give me what I deserved. But what gets me in the story is that they didn't realize that the Passover lamb was sitting right there at the table with them. 
They didn't get it. The ones that scolded, they didn't understand it. But she did. She recognized that and she gave generously to him. She knew that if Jesus would come and die for me, the least thing that I could do for him is break a vase for him. It wasn't a waste to her. It was a privilege to her. It was an honor to her. Man. Verse 6 says, but Jesus replied to those that scolded her. He says, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you can. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. And here we are in 2019 still discussing the generous gift that that lady gave to our Savior. Amen. Now, Mark leaves the lady nameless. But what I like to do is I like to read the same accounts in all the Gospels. So I want to share to you John's account of this. And he tells the same story, just a few details that I want to point out before we close. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then get this. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from an essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Then Mary, verse 3, then Mary, two words. We learned that lady has a name. That lady, it was nameless, and Mark has a name, and her name is Mary. We learned that that lady has a story because she's the one who saw her brother Lazarus come out of the grave. She saw what God could do. So even though others couldn't understand or that others scolded her, her sacrifice made sense to her because she had a personal experience with God. That's the same thing that can be said of us. We have a name. We have a story. There's a reason why we're here that people don't understand the cost. To her, it wasn't the cost. To her, it was never about the cost. It wasn't about the year's wages. It was just about the gift. And you know what gets me? There's all those people around staring and judging and, and all that. She was the only one that made a sacrifice that day. She wasn't worried about the cost. She just wanted to give. And that's what giving generously and cheerfully is all about. It's not about the cost. You know the cost. But it's so much worth it to give him praise, to give back. And the musicians can come. It's a little early. Sorry. But giving is a very powerful act of worship. If you, if you give it from your heart, with love, without grudge, giving is a very powerful act of worship. And I promise you that if you remember and you're grateful for where he's brought you from, you'd be happy to give. When I give, I give from experience because God has been good to me. God has been there for me. When I think I wouldn't make it, when I didn't know whether he had heard my prayers, he does, and he is on time. And you don't mind giving when you have an experience with God. And when it doesn't make sense to you right now, or when it doesn't make sense to others around you, you hold on to that faith, and you give. You give. Keep giving. This morning, we have a wonderful opportunity to give. 
We can give in worship and just here in just a second. We can give later on. But when we do, let's give our best sacrifice of praise to God from our hearts and from our experiences. We can go back and think of all the times where God has brought me where we were when he saved us. My word, Jesus, we are so thankful. I'll leave you with this verse, Psalms 116 and 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall we render this morning to the Lord for all his benefits to us? God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.